Well, you'll notice uh, from our order of worship and from the sanctuary, this is a bit of an in-between week. Uh, with Thanksgiving falling so late this year, this is officially the first Sunday of Advent, but it's also Thanksgiving weekend. So we're doing a little bit of both this morning uh, with our worship. But with Psalm 16, our teaching this morning is not an Advent sermon. Rather, I really do pray that this will prepare us as we enter into Advent uh, with our sermon series. Robert will begin that next Sunday, and he'll do a three-part series preparing us uh, for Christmas. But what I want us to see this morning, that for God's people, even in the midst of deep trouble... That the people of God are never without the presence of God. The people of Christ are never without the presence of Christ. And because of that, no matter what we're going through, we have ongoing encouragement. And that's what is true of us. So my simple question for you this morning. Is your soul satisfied in Christ today? Is your inner person, your inner man, your inner being, your soul Are you experiencing the joy that Jesus has purchased for you? Because that's what he wants and that's what he offers. And my prayer for us is that we will see this uh, from this great Old Testament psalm this morning. So from Psalm 16, let me briefly put this into context. Uh, this, This is a favorite psalm of many. It has been a great encouragement to me for many years, uh, particularly verse 6. Where King David, who penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is reminded as he thinks back over the years of his life, with all the troubles that he has experienced, the highs and the lows, the peaks, the valleys, he cannot help but to admit, because he has trusted in the Lord that, quote, the lions have fallen for him in pleasant places. And what he is saying is, I have built my life imperfectly upon the perfect God. And as a result of that, of his providence, I can now say, the lines have fallen for me in a pleasant place. That is, the Lord has been good. Even when I failed him, even when I did not understand him, he has not changed. And can't we all admit this morning that that's what we want to say as well? That in Christ we have a beautiful inheritance. And it's true. It really is true. And I want us to see from David's life and from his own testimony of how he is reminded of that. I think most people would say if, if they have walked with the Lord for decades and decades... And they have experienced the highs and the lows of life... And have seen the Lord answer prayers... Either in the affirmative or in the negative... That the Lord's providence... Is good that we can trust him and that he does good things. And we want to say with David this morning that yes, the Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. And as I wrestled with this fact this week and as I wrestled with these words from the psalm, you know, it dawned on me. I, I, I think we all suspect this. I suspect it's true of every single one of us that if you have every single thing you wanted, then of course we're all going to be really, really satisfied. If we're around the Thanksgiving table and everyone is happy and healthy and there are no problems whatsoever, then yes, it's really easy to come in and worship the Lord this morning. But what I find striking about Psalm 16 and why I love it so much is the reality that as David wrote these words, everything in his life was not easy. 
he was not experiencing perfect peace all the time. Rather, he only experienced the presence of the one who could give his perfect peace. If you look back at Psalm 16, notice this brief little introduction. It's right there in the ESV before verse 1. It says, a mictum of David. And typically when we see an uh, introduction like that, we typically just read right over it. At least I know I do. That is my habit. But in this case, that little word is hugely important for un- us to understand and interpret what David is saying here. Scholars highlight that there are six psalms with this title. And all of the other five occur when David is running for his life. Perhaps it's when King Saul was pursuing him. But it's believed that all six of these deal with a time when David was in trouble. When there was something going on in his life that was hard, that he could not figure out, and he could not change on his own. And his only hope was to take refuge in the sovereign Lord of the universe. He was in trouble physically or emotionally or spiritually. There was something going on and he was hurting. So again, think about these pleasant lines. Think about this chosen portion and understand that these words are coming from a follower of the Lord, living by faith in the Lord's words and not knowing what was going to happen tomorrow. You see, this is the spirit-induced cry of someone who desperately needs the Lord and the Lord reveals his desperate love for him. The great Puritan uh, Matthew Henry summarized this really, really well. And he said that a mitcom is a golden psalm because it is pure gold. So for our souls this morning, I encourage you to see these words and be reminded that we all need this. Again, my question for you, Is your soul satisfied in Christ? I want to suggest that we can find this perspective looking back at verses 1 through 3. Just I want to highlight quickly two points this morning. First, in order for our souls to be satisfied in Christ, first, will you delight in God's authority? And secondly, will you delight in his people? His authority and his people. And we see them both in David's life, and we see this in the life of a follower of Christ. First, look back at verse 1 and 2. Particularly notice the words here for God, for the Lord. David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You know, to take delight in authority really is an absolutely crucial finding uh, of someone who is joyful in Christ. The reality is none of us just delight in taking authority under anyone else other than ourselves. And here we see King David who actually was a king and he delighted in the authority of someone other than himself. So here he is in the midst of some particular trouble. And he's preaching to himself and he's crying out in prayer at the same time. And he's saying that the God who only wants what is best for him is trustworthy. Notice the three different English terms here that we have for God that the Holy Spirit used here. This is not a mistranslation. Rather, this is what the Holy Spirit gave us. In verse 1, we see the English word God. This means Elohim, meaning that this God is powerful. 
In verse 2, you see the word Lord in all capital letters. This is Yahweh, meaning this powerful God is also personal. But then also in verse 2, you see the English word Lord in lower caps, which means that this God is our master. He's the Lord. So here you see who God is, uh, is and who David is praying to. It's the one who can do anything, who can draw near to us, and who owns every single thing in our lives. He's our master. So the heart of the confession of a follower of Christ experiencing some form of trouble is this. Our God is powerful. Our God is personal. And our God is responsible for our lives because he purchased us. You see, for him to be our Lord means that he has total authority over every single detail of our life. The God who loved David, the God that David could not see or could not touch, is the one who is master over everything that David could see and that David could touch. So please see this morning that the confession of a deeply satisfied person in Christ is the one who gladly surrenders everything to the one who owns him. All of your thanksgiving and all of your problems, Jesus is our Lord. He is the owner of them all. We gladly surrender to the one who is powerful, who is personal, who is our master. And please, church, do not deny this fact this morning. I've already said it, but I'll say it again. Inside of our hearts, we do not want to submit to anyone other than ourselves. Please know that is our ongoing battle. We think we're smarter than everyone. We think we have it all figured out. And the propensity of Christians, even though we know the Lord is the Lord, we still want to maintain control of our lives. Notice that that will not get us anywhere. The reason we don't want to submit to a king is that deep inside of our hearts, we're just mad that we aren't the king. But here David is. Who was the king? He's in a fight with his soul to grapple with the belief that we are actually not particularly good rulers anyway. So when David confessed that God is his Lord, he is stating that today, on this day right here, every part of my entire being belongs to Someone else, the one who purchased me. And that the only path to ultimate joy is found when I bow to his authority over every single detail of my life. You see, the Lord is saying to you this morning that your problems are not your problems. Your problems are his problem. And he is powerful and he is strong and he is near. Therefore, I can trust him with the problems that I face today and the problems that I don't yet know about, which will come tomorrow. You see, the word here that David uses is that the Lord is his refuge. A refuge is a word given for someone who is desperate, that I recognize the desperate state of my soul and he is trustworthy. The New Testament concept here, and the Apostle Paul uses this word often to uh, refer to himself or to refer to Christians, is the word slavery. And that really is the picture of Jesus as our Lord and his authority over our lives. You know, even as I use that term, 
I think we all bristle a bit, obviously rightly so, because of the evil of our heritage. But yet I think we have to embrace this concept and let our imaginations run wild. You see, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes, he's our master. We are his servant. He is our Lord because he owns us made by the purchase with his blood. But can I please remind you of the details of this purchase? You see, our master left his place of authority and he came to this earth. He became one of us and entered into this fallen world. He was humiliated for our sake on the cross. He received his father's wrath so that his servants would not have to. He conquered death so that it would be defeated for all time. So that our sin and our shame was put on him and all of his righteousness was put upon us. So you see, his purchase does not suppress us. No, 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 no. The purchase that he made for our lives makes us finally alive. We're now finally free because he is our Lord. Please be reminded this morning, you are free from the penalty of your sin. You're free from your past. You're free from your shame. You're free from the anxieties of tomorrow. You're free from the fear of death. You're free from the world's cravings. All of these things that will destroy us, we're free from them in Christ. To be under Jesus' authority is our greatest dream come true. Yes, we die to ourselves, but then and only then are we actually alive. You know, over the past few days, I freely admit I've watched a lot of football. And from just changing the channels from one game to the next, I stumbled upon uh, Harry, the Harry Potter series that seemed to be playing the entire weekend. Uh, and I, I also freely admit I, I get sucked into that. Um, if you know anything about Harry Potter, you know that the evil villain is Voldemort. Uh, I, I don't like to say his name out loud, but if you know anything about him, you also know that he's never just called by his name. He also has his title. And that is Lord Voldemort, meaning the people who follow him, follow him completely. He is their master. Now, I'm not comparing Jesus to Voldemort, I promise. But let that picture fuel your imagination. We belong to someone else. We follow him. All of our loyalty, all of our allegiance is to him because he's worthy. So in Christ... The joyful follower of Jesus declares, I can trust him with everything. That Jesus is powerful, he's personal, he's our master. Our identity is that we follow this masterful God. So let me just ask you this morning, as we enter this holiday season, as we enter into the season of Advent, what troubles your heart? What prevents you from finding satisfaction in Christ alone? What are the disappointments in your life, the discouragement in your life, the health issues in your life, the financial pressures in your life? Can you see this morning that if Jesus is your Lord, he is aware of every single one of them. He has not forgotten you. You can draw near to him and he has promised he will draw near to you.
And there is nothing that he cannot do. He will continue to lead you in good ways. So first, embrace his wonderful authority. But then secondly, look back at at verse 3. And notice this uh, description of the people of God. Let me read this again. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I freely admit that this is uh, not just one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but it's kind of the perfect passage for the pastor of caring community. Uh, This verse is a description of a spiritual reality that our lives are greatly impacted by the people of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. This principle, this fact has absolutely changed my life and I have seen it change countless of other people. And that is as we are followers of Jesus, when we're involved in each other's lives and we are one in Christ, our relationships with each other are absolutely transformative. You see, here's the picture. When Christ calls you to himself to come and follow him, to die, to pick up your cross and follow him, he does not leave you alone. He does not make you an orphan. Rather, he gives you a whole new family. You see, the picture here is not just that we enter into the slavery, but rather we have come out of death into life and our life is shared with each other. Please don't miss this. The gift that we have from Christ of the many gifts are the fellow followers of Jesus Christ. That is the church. David could not give a greater pitch for life inside of the community of faith, especially when you're in the midst of trouble, in the midst of danger. He says that all of his delight is found in these saints. Think about that. The king of Israel, all of his delight is found in the other people who are around him. That is, there is nothing greater than the joy that comes through the sweetness of fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. They are, quote, the excellent ones. They are the saints. So let this sink in. My life is incomplete without you, and your life is incomplete without me. I will never fully know joy in Christ until I enjoy fellowship with one another. That is how God has made us. Our joy is limited. If I'm not in fellowship with you, then I cannot experience all that the Lord has for me. When we celebrate times of joy, that celebration is incomplete unless we celebrate it together. Jesus is with us when we are with each other. This is not just a fun fellowship thing. This is a spiritual reality. Dr. James Boyce, a great PCA pastor from a couple of decades ago, uh, said about this verse. He said, this is a simple test. Those who love the Lord will love the company of those who love the Lord. So do you find delight in the people with whom you're worshiping this morning? If not, something has gone wrong. If God's people are not the excellent ones in your soul, you will not be satisfied. So may we all see this morning that you and I are God's gift to each other. That's who we are as the church. 
You know, as Robert preached last Sunday, uh, he, uh, he talked a lot about his trip to Belarus. And this was Robert's first trip to Belarus. And uh, Nate, as many of you know, has been going to Belarus hundreds of times. A bunch of us have been a lot over the years. But this was Robert's first one. And uh, I, I have to say, I was a little excited to see how Robert might experience the former Soviet Union. There was something about the picture of Robert in a subway in Belarus that I just thought would be really, really funny. Uh, but, uh, so he tells me, he enjoyed every bit of it. But I assure you, it was not the scenery. It was not the subway experience. No, what Robert loved was the fellowship he had with brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when we are together and experiencing fellowship together, magic happens. That's how God has made us. I say this all the time around the church here, but I I think my favorite day of the week, other than Sunday when we're all together, happens very, very early on Thursday mornings at the Campbell House when the Company of Men Bible Study Group gets together. We talk about all kind of stuff, but included, we talk about the Bible. And when we open up the Word and share fellowship together and pray for each other, again, something supernatural happens. We encourage each other where we could say our delight is in these other followers of Christ. It's not just a social club. No, it is a supernatural experience when God's people are together. So please see this morning, these people that you worship with, these people that you're in parish group with, that you're in small group with, these are the ones who share the same Holy Spirit that you do. These are the people who will partake of the same holy meal that you do. These are the people who cherish our baptisms just as you do. We're the people who open our Bibles and find the treasures of Christ hidden there, who open our homes for hospitality, who pray for each other, who sing together, who confess sin together. You see, we are each other's people. The church of Jesus Christ is the place where joy is found. It cannot be manufactured. It comes as God's gracious gift to his people. So look around this morning. Some of you all have a lot in common. Some of you have nothing in common whatsoever. But when you're in Christ together, you have something that is supernatural. That you can delight in each other in a way in which only the Lord could orchestrate. If loneliness exists inside the church of Jesus Christ, something went tragically wrong. So let me urge you this morning, when it comes to your small groups, your parish groups, your Bible studies, put aside your preferences, put aside your expectations, and enjoy the people that God has given to you. Where the people of God are, that is home. So if you're in the midst of a particular trouble this morning and the Lord has provided sweet fellowship for you, will you give him praise this Thanksgiving weekend that even in the midst of trouble, you are not alone? And if you're in a particular need this morning and do not have the company of his people, will you allow your powerful, loving, near God to affect your life? He is willing to. And now as we prepare to come to this table, can I just remind you, he is the one who owns this table. He owns it and he has given it to us 
and we will share it together. This is our hope. The people of God are never without the presence of God. Amen. Let me pray now and ask the Lord to prepare us to come to this feast. Oh, Father, we do praise you of your grace and your gifts, your love for us. Lord, in Christ, we are never alone. We are never removed from you, but rather we are with you and your promises to us are real, they are good, and they are true. And we take great delight in that this morning. So we praise you now and ask that you administer to us from uh, this means of grace here of your table, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.